Camp, Camp Radio. Camp Radio. Camp Radio. Camp Radio. Welcome Radio. to Camp Radio, Camp Radio, a podcast production of TN Baptist Camps, the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Camp Radio, discussing trends and issues that will encourage ministries and churches in their efforts to impact people for Christ. To learn more about TN Baptist Camps, visit us at tnbaptistcamps.org. Now, today's Camp Radio. Thank you for joining us on Camp Radio. My name is Kevin Page, and I'll be your host. This week, we start a new series focused on the health of a small church. Today, we have with us John Parrott. John has been a pastor, a director of missions, and also worked for the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board and supporting bivocational pastors across the state of Tennessee. John, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Kevin. I, I tell you, I am so honored and humbled to have this opportunity to spend some time with you today. You're one of my favorite people, by the way. Well, I I appreciate that. And and, and you are mine, too. Uh, I've had the opportunity to spend time with uh, John working at the convention and and just really admire you and and the ministry that that you have uh, been involved in in the past. And and especially just your your mannerisms and how you deal with people. You're so kind and and just uh, caring and so... Uh, that that's been a real encouragement for me, but but I appreciate you spend time uh, begin this this series. Well, let's just get on to tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, Kevin. Well, uh, my wife and I, uh, Kathy, we live in Rogersville. She's my high school sweetheart. Hmm. Married her. We have been married fifty two years, Kevin. Wow. So we've been around a while. <laughs> uh, we have a son, Jeremy. Uh, he is the head basketball coach at Bearden High School hmm. in Knoxville. Uh, we'll put this in there. They won a state championship, the last basketball tournament, yeah. and that was the first championship for a AAA school in Knoxville in many, many years. Wow. So we're proud of him on that. Uh, his wife's name is Heather. Heather's a physical therapist. Uh, they have two sons, uh, Drew and Paxton, and uh, they're both athletes. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have a daughter, Lori. Lori Smith, and, and Lori can be seen on Facebook and place. She does cakes by design. She yeah. does a lot of wedding cakes, uh, birthday cakes, uh, those types of things. She's married to Greg Smith, who works in Molly Industries in Morristown. Uh, we have uh, with them a grandson, Aiden, a granddaughter, Kara, and our oldest grandson, Joshua, is in the presence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lost him in 2011 through an accident. Uh, I'm a graduate of Carson Newman University. So is Kathy. Yeah. Kathy graduated from Carson Newman many, many moons ago, and she graduated as the, the top student in the area of education, wow. which she's taught for 31 years uh i always told i tell everybody i graduated in carson newman but i graduated you know how they do uh cum laude and all that kind of thing i graduated cum spare which means with hope <laughs> that something would happen with my life yeah i did further studies through southern baptist theological seminary uh my hobbies i guess are reading traveling antiques and all that kind of thing but i grew up very rural kevin right I grew up, uh, I don't remember a time that I wasn't attending uh, church, you know, even from a small child, uh, fortunate, I guess, in that sense. But I grew up in a little church called Canny Creek Missionary Baptist Church Hmm. in Hawkins County. But the most important thing I can tell you about that is what a wonderful change in my life was wrought in 26th day of February, 1962, when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I I believed, Kevin, from the day that I trusted him, that he had a plan for my life. There was a purpose and plan that he had. It took me a while to figure all that out. 
The challenge always is to follow his plan, to know his plan. So I responded to the call to preach in April of 1970. I was called to pastor my first church in 1972. Uh, I served as a music and youth leader Hmm. in churches before I became a pastor. So actually 2020 for me marks approximately 52 years of ministry. Wow. So again, been added a while. I was th- probably about three years as a, a music and youth leader in churches, and then I was 25 years a pastor, mm-hmm. 19 years as a director of mission, and five years with the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, uh, retired. I was a bivocational ministry specialist, Harvestville leader, and worked in the area of church revitalization. But I have been so blessed, Kevin. Mm-hmm. My life, I, I sometimes when I reflect, God has been so good to me. I had the privilege of serving on various committees of the Tennessee Baptist Convention and also served as one of the vice presidents of the convention mm. some years ago. So mm. I, I've i just been most fortunate, just a country boy who, who God gave great opportunities right. to, had opportunities to be on the mission fields, you know, in different parts of the world and, and serve there too. Right. So. So I, I'm just blessed. That's all I can tell. Anybody asks me every day, how you doing? I said, well, today's a gift. Right. And I'm blessed. And so every day's a gift. Yeah. Well, now, actually, when you start working for the mission board, you had already retired. Yes. Yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, when I, I told someone recently I retired from the mission board, and they said again. Uh, yeah, I have a little trouble, but I, I basically my, well, my favorite word is redeploy. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out now how the redeployment works. Right. Uh, at the time I retired uh, from the mission board, I had no idea COVID was on the horizon. Yeah. And so, you know, that's been an interesting take, right. too. But, yeah, yeah, I've retired two or three times, but I call it redeploying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, uh, with your 50 years in the ministry, uh-huh. uh, you have seen changes. Oh, yes. And, and so how is bivocational the, the role of bivocational pastor, how has that changed in the last 20 years? Okay. Um, well, one thing I want to say up front is that uh, there was once a stigma uh, with with the idea of being bivocational that has truly, I believe, er- been erased, uh, especially in Tennessee. I I'll give a lot of credit to Ray Gilder. Ray, who served in our state for a number of years, helped us to remove this idea that, well, bivocational. Maybe you'll get there one of these days, you know, mm. you, you're doing the best you can, we know. And it was kind of kind of a look down on concept. And mm. but but in the last 20 years, I've seen that evolve. Uh, the definition of the role has expanded. Um, you see, we think of bivocational a lot of times and you and I are addressing this and in particularly talking about small church. It's not just the man who serves a church that can't fully support his family or support him and we think well that's bivocational but we have to remember today that we we have a lot of focus in the area of church planting Mm -hmm. church planters a lot of them well obviously they're bivocational right there's not a group of people out there that can fund everything they're doing and so uh, that's made me to know that that even on the seminary level we really have to help uh young leaders to understand uh, somewhere back in your preparation, you need to prepare to do things besides just go to a pulpit. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's an education or if it's working, if it's an engineer, something that you can fall back on, right. you know, because I, I think that's the way it's going to be in the future. Uh, but there are guys today who have chosen to be bivocational and are even serving churches in a bivocational way that could be fully funded by the church. Mm-hmm. But they don't choose to do that because they have, have now have this marketplace mentality that 
it's good for me to be in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean that the full vocational pastor isn't. I'm just saying it's every day his life. He's with the people every day as a bivocational. He, uh, perhaps he picks up a better understanding of how to connect with the gospel. Um, retirees obviously are being used in bivocational rim. In other words, there's this esteem that has come to bivocationalism. It just wasn't there mm-hmm. uh, 20 years ago, even better. I think demographics and economics are playing a greater part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're going to see more bivocationalism. We're already seeing it when it comes to staff in churches. A lot of churches are not fully funding staff. You know, mm-hmm. they're 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 part time or bivocational. There, I just used a word I don't ever like to use, and I, let me clarify that: don't ever call a bivocational leader a part time leader, right. or call a bivocational pastor a part time pastor. Right. He is every bit a pastor as any pastor is out there. It's just in God's plan on his life. He's supporting himself beyond just what the church is doing in offerings. You know, I see pastors as bivocational who who may not necessarily want to title themselves that way. This is kind of my little dig and with guys, you know, I'll talk to guys that are out there and they're in a small setting and, you know, I'm full-time. I'm full vocational in my church. When I look at that church and how it functions, this church uh, gives him, obviously, a salary, right. whatever, but his wife is also working. and She's working outside the home. Every wife works, but she's outside the home in a vocation. If she did not do that, he and his family would be challenged to live off what the church is paying them, but he calls himself full vocational. If you right. understand what I'm saying, right. I kind of look at him, just me personally, I see him as bivocational mm-hmm. because his family couldn't live otherwise. So some guys don't necessarily look at themselves that way. We probably, Kevin, have about 45%, could be better the way we, the way we define maybe 50% or better of our churches in Tennessee Baptist life are bivocational. Right small church setting mm-hmm. churches. So it makes us know uh, in our work uh, as a convention and all that we we can't ignore this block. It's it's a big portion of who we are, and so we stay very focused on how we help them. The bivocational pastor definitely understands his witness in the marketplace. The culture, though, today, another way it's changed, the culture today, the workforce is not as sympathetic Mm-hmm. toward the ministries used to be. I can remember time guys who were on the job and they had to go do a funeral or they need time for revival to mm-hmm. the work for. They just give it to them. You know, right. oh, yeah, go ahead and do what you need to do. That's not the case today. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult for a bivocational man to get out of his job to go do any kind of ministry. Right. So that's another way that has changed. Uh, well, he lives in a technical world that mm-hmm. now challenges him. We can say more about that later on, but yeah. but he's got computer, he's got Facebook, he's got Twitter, he's got Instagram, he's got email. He's yeah. got stuff that's come his way as a bivocational guy that may be a bit more challenging than it even is for a full vocational guy. So, you know, that's kind of the way I, I see that the changes have come. But overall, it's been positive because I think there's there's esteem. And I credit Ray Gilder with painting that picture in such a great way in the years he spent with the convention of bringing up the level of the bivocational ministry, right. how vital it is. Well, looking at the past, in the past 20 years, what do you, and I think you kind of alluded to this, what do you think if we were looking into the future for the next 20 years, you kind of alluded to uh, that pastors need to be looking for uh, something to kind of fall back on. Yeah. Do you see that they say, for example, if our, if we have 50% of our, our churches at Tennessee Baptist are bivocational mm-hmm. in 20 years, what do you think that percentage would be like? 
That's a good question, and I think it will increase. Uh, I may be careful to say any percentages, but it will increase. And here's why I think this is going to happen, <laughs> two or three reasons. Uh, one, obviously, is is the economics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that we have this, this boomer generation and back. Okay, if we look statistically at churches, a lot of the mainstay support of the church has come out of this age group. Mm-hmm. But this age group is going home to be with the Lord. And therefore, the next generations coming on are more economically challenged. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be because of indebtedness, it, a lot of things they've done that maybe not necessarily the Lord led them to do, but they decided to do it, and it made it more difficult for them to be supportive. Uh, I think that that's happening. Uh, I think that's going to be more difficult in, in days ahead to get that kind of support for the church. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by the economic side. Right. The other side of it is I just think guys are seeing the advantageous uh, approach of being bivocational. They just choose to do this. Right. They're not going to put all the eggs in a basket that I just want the church to support everything I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I think they see the real value in keeping that connection in the marketplace, which we all can say that's pretty biblical. Paul was a tent maker. I mean, the guys in the Bible, fishermen, I mean, they did the ministry, but they also had a side job. You know, right. they did things they lived off of. And so I think we're coming back to to more of a biblical perspective. And, and that's why I think you will see the increase economically. You're going to see it because they simply choose to do it, right. uh, that they think there's an ad, ad, there's advantage now to doing that. Uh, there's disadvantages in it, too, and we can talk about that. But but I think that's the reasons why there may be very well increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, the increase or the continued focus, the third thing, and I'll stop on that, is, is the planting of new work. That is a real focus we have. Right. And you know in the planning of new work, it takes time for that work to develop if it needs to or grow. And when, when would it ever be at a point that it could self-sustain somebody being leaders or being staff in the church? That's a long, long way down the road right. when you're doing church planning. Yeah. And I'm not sure in church planning our idea is to try to get that to happen. In other words, we want to plan a work, but then we want this work to plan a work and this work to plan a work. So it's the idea of reproduction that may not lend itself to getting this fully funded stuff continuing. So that's kind of my perspective, and I may be way off base, but I really do believe that bivocationalism will will increase down the road. Well, let's look look at more of a... uh present uh, day uh, mm-hmm. situation. Uh, there's a lot of pastors, bivocational, uh, small church pastors that they uh, th- they are doing all the work. Even if they're mm-hmm. bivocational, mm-hmm. Uh, they might get paid less and they may have a second job, but uh, th- basically they're doing everything just mm-hmm. about. Yeah. And, and that's a load on a, a person. It is. Uh, so how do we cultivate a, this leadership or develop this leadership in a small church? Uh, first, let me say, you know, the the challenge with leadership, size is really not the issue where the church is concerned. And I'm going to make a statement now that I may get in trouble on. I may get <laughs> notes, phone calls, anything on this, but I'm going to say this. Basically, churches are dead because leadership is dead. Uh, the old cliche is around and we all use it. Church, you do not rise above leadership, mm-hmm. but but I really believe that's the issue. You see, Probably 70% or better of our TBC churches are plateaued or in decline. And that's not just small churches. That's just churches overall. But the cultivation of leadership in a small or bivocational church is absolutely necessary for what you said, Kevin. Mm -hmm. He's doing everything. Why is he doing everything? 
that shouldn't be happening. Right. It shouldn't be happening in church, but obviously in the bivocational church, a lot of times he is. Well, we know that's almost an impossibility because he has a, a secular job mm-hmm. and then he's also working in the church. Uh, leadership is failing the church uh, because today with these guys, you see, they get, they get so drained that there's no enthusiasm in what they're trying to do. And, and I like to take that word enthusiasm, break down in theos. Mm. There's just no God within. Uh, right. You know, they're doing the work, but that's what it is. It's work. They, they've not learned uh, to, to be enthusiastic in relationship with God. Uh, we lose a sense of mission. And a lot of guys, I, I've talked to guys through the years when I was a director of missions. It absolutely surprised me. I talked to guys in a larger church and they'd tell me, I don't understand what you mean by vision. I don't have any idea what vision is. Uh, and guys in larger churches have said that. I, I don't know how to have vision, you know, how to lead the church. Well, that if that's the case, you know, in the smaller churches are struggling with that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just have no defined purpose right. for what they're about. Uh, no goals. And then now today the challenge uh, is that COVID has come on the scene. And now they're challenged in a lot of ways too. You're going to have to have some kind of vision, mm-hmm. some kind of purpose. It's a new day. I read this somewhere. I thought it was pretty good, you see, about leadership in a church. A lot of guy, times, I see this in bivocational churches a lot. A guy will go to a bivocational church, and he will be there two or three years, mm-hmm. and then he moves. And and I come to learn when I was director of missions, sometimes it happens because he resources out. Mm-hmm. He uses up everything he knows. Yeah. He doesn't have know how to get in. So what am I going to do? I'm going to move over here. And some of these guys actually begin to just almost be, uh, we, you remember this little game you used to play about musical chairs? You mm-hmm. just move chair to chair. They move from church to church yeah. in their little cycle because they run out of resource so they don't know where to move on. And so that creates issues. Initially, he goes in and, and if he's a good leader, you know, good leaders have to be risk takers. And he may do that on the front end, but then he gets to be a caretaker. Yeah. This is so many churches I see this happen caretaker just taking care of the flock you know mm-hmm. and and that's about what's happening well somebody this is not original with me and i'm quoting someone else i just don't remember where i read it you see you can go from a risk taker to caretaker and then suddenly you become the undertaker in that church this church is dying yeah and that's why i say about lead, without good leadership churches die and it can happen in a real brief period of time i think when you look at the bible uh the one word in scripture that describes leadership or defines leadership one word, I think, and, and you can read it throughout the Bible, is the word servant. Now, you and I both know we live we live in a culture and environment that that's not what leadership is about. But when it comes to the church, that is leadership. Mm-hmm. Servant, being able to serve. The old adage is still true, and, and in Appalachia in particular, you know, people don't care how much you know. I'll go in where they are in those little small churches. They don't care how much I know, but they want to know how much I care. And that's defined about how I relate to them, you know, and how I try to resource them, work with them. Um, leadership rises up as Jesus commanded us to do. Here's the way, here's where I really believe we messed up. And I messed up here, even in my years of being a pastor, we just didn't make disciples. Hmm. And that has a great impact on leadership. Maturity is that we have made disciples. And so we we've we need to if I just give a word to, to bivocational guys or anybody that would listen, we need to learn how to look for people who show ability to lead, 
because in the bivocational church, you can't do everything. You're trying to do it. And we'll talk a little later on about what happens because you're trying to do it all. Yeah. But but you need to look for people that have the ability to lead. The problem with that is sometimes that is so hidden in people. It takes you a while to figure it out. Well, let's say you go to a church and you're having a tough time. You want to leave. You say, no, stay with the stuff. You know, stay where God's put you until you discover what he is God wants to do, you know, to people there. But sometimes we have a tendency to move. But these people are hidden. We don't really see. We need to stay with it. And when you see ability in people, you know, we need to learn how to call them out, challenge them, you know, to be leaders in the church. You know, when I when I was a pastor, I did look for attitude in people. Mm -hmm. Now, what I mean by attitude, and I always look for this in small church pastors, I can't help a pastor who doesn't want to be helped. Attitude is key. I really want to be better than I am. I really want to grow more than I, I am. I really want to be a better leader. And so I look for attitude in people. Mm -hmm. Attitude is so important to what you do, you know, in the church. People that are teachable. And when you find them, and this is where I messed up, you know, years ago in making disciples, uh, it takes time to do that. And so you have to be willing to give the time. Uh, you challenge people to specific assignments. And here's what I see what happening in the small church. The small church will get somebody to, to into a role. Oh, we need somebody to do this. Mm -hmm. You can do this. And they give them a role. And then this person is failing miserably in this role, and they get attacked by everybody. They're not doing their job, you know, that kind of thing. But who taught them to do their job? Right. You see, and, and so that's why that in, in, in the smaller church, you have to empower people mm -hmm. once you call them to a task. Do everything necessary to make sure they can do this task. They're not a failure. They just don't have the tools in place. But that takes time for that to happen. And you have to learn how to hold them accountable. Bivocational churches, small churches need to find capable people who strengthen what they're about. And the best way to strengthen me is I got to find somebody to do something better than I can do it right. and let them do that instead of me beating my head against the wall and trying to do it. And so we work together. We learn how to affirm, how to encourage. I saw something this last Saturday that to me marked a true leader and we could learn it in, in a church. And it was the game between LSU and Mississippi State. <laughs> And we all know what happened. LSU's not supposed to lose this game, but they lose it. And I heard the interview with Coach Orgeron after the loss. Mm -hmm. And and here's what he said. We lost. We got beat. That's on me. And to me, that said, now that's a leader. Right. He didn't whine. The kids didn't do what I told them to do. They messed up here and they did that. Orgeron simply said, we lost. It's on me. Mm-hmm. In other words, it was his way of saying, I have not equipped them to be prepared as they should have been prepared. That's leadership. Well, and that's what I, I was going to mention, to kind of throw in there, is that we kind of have to have, you know, and I understand some pastors that, especially if they're a, a church plant, you know, they've started this kind of their baby yeah. and, and they want everything just to be perfect. Yeah. And they have a hard time letting go. Right. That's exactly so right. So the first thing you got to do, you got to let go. Yeah. And then when you let go, you can't uh, have these high expectations of an uh, individual that you've handed over as leadership as if they're going to do it That's, just the way you do Yes. I, th I really think this happens in small churches sometimes, too. For the guy in particular that uh, calls himself full vocational, mm -hmm. and I don't really see him that way, but, but he says that, and he gets a leader in. And let's say mm -hmm. this leader is really doing well at something, and uh, he's having trouble letting that doing well go. And I'm not saying... He, he, I'm not saying it's an ego issue, but, well, what are people going to think? 
I'm not doing that anymore. He's doing it. And he's doing it better than I did it. Yeah. And does that justify them paying me? I mean, there's a lot of pressures that he starts feeling because he's trying to, as you said, multiply leadership. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that leadership doesn't do it as well as you do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they do it better. But you have to be a leader that, that knows how to deal with that. I'll give him one other Having a son has been a coach. I got a lot of athletic analogies, but I'll give another one real quickly from Paul Bear Bryant, coach years at Alabama, and I quote this from him: Bryant's concept of leadership in in at Alabama was if anything goes bad, I did it. If anything goes halfway good, we did it. If it go if it went really well, you did it. Yeah, I think a pastor has to be willing to to play that role. You know, if it goes bad, I take the responsibility. I'm not going to start pointing a finger at you. Right. But we're going to make this better. And as we get it better, we'll look what we're doing together. But when it gets going really well, man, I'm going to give you the credit for it. And sometimes it's hard for a pastor to do that. You know, let me just say this, you know, uh, with pastors too, you can plan all day. But to get the best out of leaders, you know, planning is not going to do it. Uh, you know, you got to help them get it done, invest in them encourage them, come alongside them. It's going to pay off in the long run. Now, coming back to making disciples, you see, that's a process. Mm -hmm. So it takes time. I I don't know what, some guys just get impatient. If it's not happening today, we got to do something. Or or you maybe the pressure of the church. Well, it depends on how the church wants to define what it's doing. And maybe he feels that pressure, but it takes time to tool this thing into being what it needs to be. And and in the bivocational arena, I'll just say this, he better find leadership right? because he cannot do everything. He may be trying to do it, but it's kind of like, you know, you and I, there's things Kevin is good at. And you ask John to do it, forget it, man. I can't do what Kevin does. I mean, you know, gosh, he's good at that. Well, you got to accept that about some people. They're yeah. better at some things than you are. Right. And the one thing you accept in leadership, too, is that I don't care what you're doing and doing well. Somebody somewhere can do it better than you do it. Yeah. You can find a lot of peace in that if you'll accept that about yourself. Somebody can do what you're doing a lot better than you're doing it. Right. And, and go on. Just give it your best to God's glory. Right. Well, John, thank you for just sharing your heart about just yeah. cultivating that, that uh, leadership within a church. That's a difficult topic. And we could talk on and oh, on about this. Yes. And, and and I'm sure there's uh, guys who are listening right now who have lots of questions. And hopefully that uh, those who are listening, feel free to uh, just uh, email us and ask the, uh, any of your questions you might have for John. He would love to answer those. Thank you for listening today. If you are listening on iTunes or Google Play, I, I hope that you leave a comment and follow us. Uh, that way, that will help others to listen to this great resource. Also, like I said, we we love to hear from you. Uh, so if you have a comment or just want to know what we do at TM Baptist Camps, please send an email at ccinfo at tmbaptist.org. Until next time, I hope that you look for opportunities to start a conversation about Christ with someone you know. Thanks for listening to Camp Radio, a podcast production of TN Baptist Camps the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. This and other episodes can be downloaded from tnbaptistcamps.org. The ministries of Carson Springs and Linden Valley are supported through the cooperative program and gifts received through the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. For more information, visit tnbaptistcamps.org.